Hello and welcome to The Corridor here on CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario and podcasting on Spotify and Apple Music. I'm Dinah Jansen. This news program features news from Kingston and area provided by local and regional journalists through the support of the Local Journalism Initiative and the Community Radio Fund of Canada. Welcome and enjoy. Hello and welcome. In recent Kingston area news, Owen Fullerton, local journalism initiative reporter for YGK News, reported on girls in Kingston and surrounding areas having an opportunity to explore trades last Thursday. An event organized by the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program, OYAP, saw grades 7 and 8 students from the Limestone District School Board, Algonquin Lakeshore Catholic District School Board, and Hastings and Prince Edward District School Board visit St. Lawrence College to attend interactive demos and meet local industry professionals. OYAP hosts a number of events on a yearly basis to encourage students to consider trades as a viable career option, but Thursdays was focused specifically on showing young girls in the area that working in a trade is something they can do despite how dominated these careers are by males. Only 5% of workers in the skilled trades are women, and OYAP would like to see that increase in the coming years. LDSP OYAP recruiter Courtney Soucy says doing so will benefit the industries themselves as women can bring different perspectives to the worksite, including perspectives on workplace safety. Soucy also added that the trades are underserved and that's part of why the process of building new homes, cars and other projects tend to take such a long time. In years past, the trades have been looked at as a last resort for many people, but that attitude has generally been shaken, she said. Susie went on to say now it's about encouraging students to see trades as an option as early as high school. These are viable options that are available to you right away, but they also make really great money, she said. 195 girls from across the three school boards participated in the event, while 16 businesses were on hand with information booths. Learn and read more from Owen Fullerton, local journalism initiative reporter at ygknews.ca. In regional news, Keith Dempsey, local journalism initiative reporter for the Brockville Recorder and Times, reported on October 31st that the Township of Leeds and Thousand Islands Council will hold a public meeting on November 6th at 6 p.m. for the purpose of discussing a private road renaming to replace an offensive street name off Backstreet in Seeley's Bay called Squaw Point Lane. The term squaw is considered offensive and derogatory towards Indigenous people, and the TLTI staff report noted that the offensive street name is not in compliance with the township's civic addressing bylaw. The proposed street name to replace the offensive name is Canoe Lane. Keith Dempsey also reported that an affordable housing project is slowly taking shape in Gananoque. A delegation was recently made by Ernie Olivo and Bill Spencer representing Habitat for Humanity Thousand Islands. Speaking at a recent town council meeting about their proposal, which includes constructing five affordable townhouses to be located at the southeast corner of William and Arthur Streets in Gananoque. Council directed staff to bring back a report, and Habitat for Humanity Thousand Islands became an affiliate in 1999 and built its first home that year. Since then, 17 homes have been built in Leeds and Grenville. Learn more and read more from Learn and read more from Keith Dempsey, local journalism initiative. Learn more and read more from Keith Dempsey, local journalism initiative reporter through the Brockville Recorder and Times. And now over to CFRC 101.9 FM's local journalism initiative reporter, Chris Laurie, with details on a food-sharing project in Kingston. Hello, I'm Christina Laurie, local journalism initiative reporter for CFRC 101.9 FM in Kingston, Ontario. 
Coming up are some of the top news stories in Kingston and the islands. You can listen to CFRC's news programs Today in YGK and Kingston Currents on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Or subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Music. If you have any Kingston news tips you'd like to share, you can reach me at news at cfrc.ca. The Food Sharing Project, in partnership with RBC Wealth Management, TenFed, and Kids Against Hunger Canada, gathered volunteers at the Community Food Redistribution Warehouse on Saturday, October 21st, to assemble 2,000 food packages to be distributed in Kingston and the surrounding area. In about two and a half hours, volunteers packed 2,000 packages, which amounts to 12,000 meals, to be distributed to schools and community organizations in the KFLNA area over the coming weeks. I sat down with Brenda Moore, chair of the Food Sharing Project, to discuss this event, which they ran for the first time on Saturday. So would you like to introduce yourself and share a bit about your role with the Food Sharing Project? I'm Brenda Moore, and I'm the chair of the Food Sharing Project. And uh, we provide the breakfast, lunch, and hearty snack programs that operate in every school across KFLNA. So you had a big event on Saturday. I was wondering if you'd like to tell folks about that. We had a really exciting, unique event on Saturday. Um, we haven't done anything like this before. And it was um, a fabulous partnership between RBC Wealth Management, um, the Food Sharing Project, project and a company in Peterborough called Kids Against Hunger Canada. And what uh, Kids Against Hunger Canada does is they produce um, a really nutritious rice meal pack that is um, packaged up by volunteers and then available for distribution in um, anywhere uh, in any community. They, they um, do Canadian communities and they do international communities. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And how many volunteers came out on Saturday? We had 36 volunteers and um, they were from uh, RBC. They were from Rotary Clubs across the, the area. Um, there were some food sharing project board members there. There were some youth from um, Boys and Girls Club Southeast as well. Awesome. Good stuff. And how many meals were packed by the end of the day? So in about two and a half hours, we packed um, over 2,000 meal packs and each meal pack um, contains rice, um, dehydrated vegetables, dehydrated vegetable protein, and then um, a beautiful combination of um, uh, vitamins and minerals and and a sauce that makes it taste marvelous. And um, so each one of those meal packs feeds six people. So our 2,000 packages are going to feed about 12,000 kids. That's fantastic to hear. And are those being sent out this week or over a certain length of time? Yeah, they'll be sent out over the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Because this was a brand new project for us, we weren't exactly um, sure about the distribution process immediately. So what we're doing now that we've got those um, meals, um, those meal packs ready to go is we're now reaching out to schools to see if school, which schools have the capacity to make a hot meal for their students. Most secondary schools can do that because they have, um, often they have culinary programs or, or a cafeteria um, that they can use. But elementary schools don't, most of them don't tend to have that. So it's going to take a little bit of um, creativity on the part of some schools to figure out how to um, produce that, or sorry, how to um, cook up um, that meal and serve it to their kids. But so schools will be receiving it. Um, it will also go into the um, weekend food boxes that Lion Hearts does for families. Mm-hmm. And so then it will end up on some family tables. And um, the Boys and Girls Club is also 
um, opt for using it when they have their PA day programs and after school programs where they're feeding their, their kids that come there for a hot meal. So it'll be a little bit of everywhere. Moore also described the overall energy at the event. It was it was a marvelous day, and it was it was so great. Like people were having fun. Like they, they, mm-hmm. there was lots of laughing and and conversation, and and it, it felt I think it felt really good for people to do something so concrete. Um, mm-hmm. We're struggling with such a huge um, level of food insecurity in our community, and sometimes you get bogged down in that. So it's really uplifting to do something that you know is going to have such a direct impact for kids. To learn more or contribute to the Food Sharing Project's ongoing initiatives, you can visit foodsharingproject.org. Thank you, Chris. And now over to Katrina Johnson with a story on the loss of a Napanee arena due to a recent suspicious fire. In this segment, Michelle Dory Forrestal of the Kingstonist, the local journalism initiative, reported that on October 27th, the Lennox Agricultural Memorial Community Center was destroyed by fire overnight in what police call one of two suspicious fires in the area. On Monday, October 23rd, at approximately 2.30 a.m., OPP officers and the Greater Napanee Fire Department responded to a report of a structure fire on York Street in Greater Napanee. No one was injured in the fire. However, the building is heavily damaged. At the height of the fire, 36 fire and rescue staff battled the flames, according to Napanee Fire Chief Bill Hammond. Runoff water was contained, according to Chief Hammond, and all the surrounding buildings, including the curling club and the historic storage barns, were left unharmed. He also noted that families were evacuated from 20 neighboring homes. Some witnesses recall hearing an explosion during the blaze. Many onlookers at the scene commented on the loss of the building and the many memories it contained. Community members remarked on their years playing hockey and indoor soccer at the building, calling the destruction a real loss for the community. I practically lived there growing up, said a man on the sidewalk discussing the loss with neighbors. An investigation is ongoing by the Lennox and Addington County OPP in conjunction with the Ontario Office of the Fire Marshal. Police are seeking the public's assistance. Anyone with information concerning the fires is asked to contact the Lennox and Addington County OPP at 1-888-310-1122. Those who wish to remain anonymous may submit a tip to Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477 or online at crimestoppers.ca. Listeners can read more about this and other stories by local journalism initiative reporter Michelle Forrestal at www.kingstonist.com. And now over to Mia Leighton with more in local news. Inquest into inmate death at Quinty Detention Center set for November. On Monday, March 8, 2019, Lennox and Addington Paramedic Services responded to the detention center on Richmond Boulevard in Napanee, where they found an inmate, Hendrick Peter Rice Camp, unresponsive, as documented by Kingstonus at the time. Forrestel wrote, according to reports from the Ontario Provincial Police at the time, Rise Camp 31 of Kingston was pronounced dead at the scene in QDC. However, the coroner's report states he was pronounced dead upon arrival at the hospital. It is unclear why there is a discrepancy between the reports. Police have also not disclosed the reason that Rise Camp was in custody at the time. An investigation into the incident led the OPP to charge Barry Samuel Kurlovich, 41, of Napanee with manslaughter, 
trafficking of a Schedule One substance, opioid other than heroin, and possession of a Schedule One substance for the purpose of trafficking, opioid other than heroin. And these charges were laid on Wednesday, June 19th of 2019. In 2021, Kurlovich pleaded guilty to possession for the purpose of trafficking and was sentenced to one day with time served. He also has a lifetime weapons prohibition and provided DNA to be held in a federal database. Dr. Paul Dungey, Regional Supervising Coroner for East Region Kingston Office, has announced the inquest will begin at 9.30 a.m. on Monday, November 20th. Dr. Richard McLean will be the presiding officer. Kristen Smith and Uko Adabra will be in the inquest council. The inquest will be conducted by video conference and is expected to last seven days and hear from approximately eight witnesses. Members of the public who wish to view the proceedings can do so on a link provided on the CFRC website. The Kingstonists will also provide coverage as the inquest unfolds. Reported by Michelle Dory Forestell on October 27, 2023, local journalism initiative reporter for the Kingstonist. And thank you so much, Mia. And now over to Ted Evans, local journalism initiative reporter for CJAI Amherst Island Radio with a report on Loyalist Township's participation in a community security footage program. Hi, I'm Ted Evans, local journalism initiative reporter and news director at CJAI, Amherst Island Radio, 101.3 FM in Stella, Ontario. Coming up are some of the top news stories from Loyalist Township. You can hear Amherst Island Radio's news program, North Shore News, on 101.3 Amherst Island Radio or online at cjai.ca. For showtimes throughout the week, check the schedule on our website at cjai.ca. Loyalist Township will be registering its security camera footage with CamSafe. Partnering with the OPP, staff will also be advertising and promoting the program to residents. Staff Sergeant with Belleville City Police Jeremy Ashley made a presentation highlighting the benefits of the CamSafe program to Loyalist Township Council on Monday. The CamSafe program is a free registry that allows businesses, industries, residents and municipalities to register their security camera footage on a secure platform. The location of the cameras can then be accessed by municipal police forces as a way to contact owners to request their video footage. The owner may accept or deny this request and is not required to attend in court. All components of the program are voluntary and no one has direct access to the video footage. Mayor Jim Hagedorn noted how this program could help loyalists. From everything that I can see, it looks to be a very good program and could be very advantageous if anything does happen in the area that they always say that sooner they can get the evidence, the better it is. So having this list would certainly help be able to glean information that could help uh, an investigation proceed quickly. Councillor Paul Proderick noted his support for the program. Totally support the program. I think the fact that residents have choice um, is huge. Video evidence can play a key role in solving crimes or acts of vandalism. According to staff's report, locating video evidence is a very time-consuming process for police services. Ashley mentioned the importance of the CamSafe program and how it's grown. Any kind of incident where uh, video is important, uh, that is really uh, where CamSafe kind of originated from. It was an idea as a tool for law enforcement. And what has happened over the last two years with this program is that it has changed into uh, not only that, but a, a fantastic way for the police to partner with the public. Ashley explained how CamSafe came to be. In 99% of the cases that we go to in OPP, you're looking for that best evidence, and that would be uh, that would be video. Sourcing that video is difficult. Uh, that entails a lot of man hours of drive, or person hours, I should say, driving around looking for those sources, and that's where 
couple of years ago, I was doing it and I thought there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to find those people that have video. Everyone has doorbell cams or CCTV cameras up. There's got to be a better way to for police to partner with the public to find this evidence. So that's where uh, CamSafe uh, kind of started. According to CamSafe's website, the idea was inspired by similar projects such as Red Deer Capture in Alberta and SafeCam in Philadelphia. In 2022, the OPP joined on as a significant partner and within one year rolled out CamSafe to all its detachments across the province. The program is currently owned and operated by the Belleville Police Service. For CJAI and the Local Journalism Initiative, I'm Ted Evans. Thank you, Ted. And now over to Jeff Gard, Local Journalism Initiative reporter for CFWN-FM in Coburg with a report on the Canadian Firefighters Museum finding a new long-term home in Coburg alongside a report on the state of bike thefts in the town. The Canadian Firefighters Museum has been without a home for five years since it was forced out of its former Port Hope location due to the ongoing low-level radioactive waste cleanup. On Sunday, the doors to Coburg's Memorial Arena on Furnace Street were open to the public for the Northumberland Antique Vintage Show and Sale, a fundraiser for the Firefighters Museum. The Memorial Arena will be the new home of the museum as a larger venue was sought and one that could be open year-round rather than the seasonal operation in the past. Firefighters Museum officials are able to use the arena until June to hold fundraising events and they will eventually sign a 20-year lease with the town said Will Lambert, a former chair and the current curator of the museum. It needs a lot of upgrading. It closed in 2019. There's no insulation, there's no heat. Uh, it's not accessible by today's standards. So we have to make a lot of changes and throw a lot of money at the building, but it is great for us. Lambert said the large turnout Sunday was very encouraging, especially as the museum aims to make a big return in the future. I know we've been shuttered for five years, but we are not going away. We are going to come back bigger and better than ever. We have an amazing collection. Even though we've been closed over the last five years, we've continued to add to the collection. We're now up to 14 fire trucks and just tons of other stuff. We have six storage locations right now that are just jammed full. So we can put on an amazing national caliber collection and we can make this thing fly. We can run it year round and we can make it really special. The museum, Lambert said, has a great collection to showcase. Everything from a collection of shoulder patches from various departments across the country, uh, all manners of uniforms, uh, turnout gear, hand tools, radios, you name it. Anything connected with the fire department, we've got it. And a lot of books and paper and ephemera and so on with the records of old fire departments and so on. It's, it's staggering what we've got. It's, it's a huge collection and it's got tons of room to grow because it is coast to coast and we don't only look at municipal firefighting we look at airport firefighting industrial firefighting like mine firefighters and things like that forest firefighters military firefighters we, if you're a canadian and firefighting is part of your job description we want to represent you throughout the years museum officials have had great partnerships with local fire departments and that's no different this year port hope fire department was always good to us and setting up for this show Coburg Fire came by and loaned us 10 of their tables for our vendors to use. They came and they helped us unload the fencing and set it up when we needed some people that were, you know, strong of back. And our average age on our board is over 65. So when we needed some bustle, I could always call on Coburg Fire and they were right there for us. So I'm very glad. Reporting for Northumberland 89.7 FM, I'm Jeff Gard. And here's more reportage from Jeff Gard on bike thefts in Coburg. Coburg police are encouraging residents to register their bicycles. 
as there continues to be an increase in reported thefts. Communications coordinator Lisa Mondays said five bicycles were recovered by police on Tuesday. Yeah, they were located in Coburg and uh, officers had recovered them and brought them in. And what they're doing now is comparing them to the reports that we already had about theft um, of bicycles to see if they can contact the rightful owner and then encouraging if someone is missing or has their bike stolen and hasn't submitted a report to contact us with a description and we'll see if they match. Okay. They were not in anyone's possession, so we're, um, we're assuming they're stolen or gone missing. Coburg Police has an online bicycle registration program to help increase the chances of having a bike returned to its owner if it is lost or stolen. That can be done at CoburgPoliceService.com slash online dash reporting and owners will need to provide information about the bike and ownership including brand, make and model, serial number, and the owner's name and contact information. This is a service that has already been available but is more important now as the number of thefts are increasing. We've seen an increase probably since August, an increase in reports of bicycle thefts. So we really want to encourage everyone to take a moment to register their bikes. You can register your whole family at once and submit all the information with a photo and your serial number, uh, which will be key in allowing us to kind of quickly identify if a bike is brought in or recovered by police, that we can more quickly kind of get it back to the rightful household. Reporting for Northumberland 89.7 FM, I'm Jeff Gard. Now back over to Katrina Johnson with more in local concerts and community events. And now it's time for the CFRC Community Concert and Events Calendar. Have an event you'd like to be covered on our website and news programming? Contact us via cfrc.ca today. On November 2nd is a healthy food box pickup. Get a fresh food box that contains all the fresh produce and key ingredients to prepare a quick, easy, and healthy recipe, which makes approximately four to six servings. Note, registration will only display one week in advance to the session date. Register for fresh food box at queensu.ca, located at Queen's Health and Wellness Services in Mitchell Hall from 1 to 4 p.m. On November 2nd is the free Art Hive Art and Wellness event. Materials are provided and no prior art experience is necessary. Art making is innately therapeutic and can improve general well-being. We invite adults 16 plus to join us and explore the creative process through experimentation and play. If you are looking for guidance, Harper Johnston, an art therapist and facilitator, is on site to offer support through suggestions and encouragement. This is located at Agnes Etherington Art Center from 4 to 6 p.m. Also on November 2nd is a Spectrum of Connection by Little Pear Garden Dance Company, a Chinese traditional and contemporary dance. Book your free ticket online, by phone, or in person during box office hours. After the performance, when you are exiting the theater, you can consider giving any amount that reflects your experience that evening. Pay what you want enables more people to access live performances without financial constraints. Book tickets on kingstongrand.ca, and this event will be located at the Kingston Grand Theater from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. On November 3rd is the Recreational Run Club, a beginner and intermediate run. Meet new people if you want to start running, increase your distance, improve your time, and or simply find some running buddies. To join us for this fun, please do the following in advance. Register for this club at gogalesgo.com. You must pay a one-time $5 membership fee. You must be a current Queen student or staff member to join. Meet at 5 p.m. at the Queen's Arc North Earl Street entrance. This is Wednesdays at 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. and Fridays 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. 
Also on November 3rd is the Stop the Chop Party Till You Drop fundraiser gala. Dress in semi-formal attire and support No Clear Cuts Kingston and pay the expert witnesses to save the tannery site, Kingston's last urban forest from development. Live music, good eats, and a silent auction along with a virtual guest speaker, David Suzuki, will be there. Buy tickets at www.eventbrite.ca. On November 4th is the Market for Africa. You can shop with purpose through three rooms of goods, African crafts and baskets, handmade sand glass creations, Christmas crafts and cards, pre-loved jewelry and ladies' winter wear, our sewing masterpiece, baking, art for everyone, nature food note cards, and eco products. Be sure to take a break for a coffee or tea and something sweet. Every purchase you make contributes to a brighter future for African grandmothers and their families, hard hit by the AIDS pandemic and other challenges, through the Stephen Lewis Foundation's Grandmothers to Grandmothers campaign and Help Lesotho, located at Crossroads United Church from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Also on November 4th is the Think Grad Studies Day. Learn all about the benefits of doing your grad school within arts and science. Hear from current studies and staff, as well as Associate Dean of Graduate Studies. Mix and mingle at our catered lunch and then take a tour of Queens and Kingston. Space is limited, so what are you waiting for? Register at www.queensu.ca. This will be located at Mitchell Hall from 10.30 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. On November 5th is a Solidarity Swim. Are you a trans, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, or any other non-cisgender person who wants a safer space to swim and also meet other students and wider trans community members? Join us for Solidarity Swim at the ARC Pool. You can even bring a cisgender friend or loved one. It will be from 2.30 to 4 p.m. Register at queensu.ca. This event is free and open to the wider Kingston community. Is affording swimwear also a concern? We have a gender-affirming swimwear subsidy open to trans, non-binary, and other non-cisgender folk to help you locate and pay for swimwear. Please email kelmartin at queensu.ca for details. On November 6th is Death Cafe. Death Cafe aims to encourage conversation in order to help people face death and make the most of their finite lives. Join a discussion of death with no agenda, objective, or themes. This is a discussion group rather than a grief support or a counseling session. Registration is also free and located at the Kingston Frontenac Public Library from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Register at www.kfpl.ca. On November 7th is the Indigenous Drumming Circle. Do you know the many benefits of drumming? In addition to community connection, drumming can improve stress management, mindfulness, motor skills, and so much more. Join the 4D team for a casual weekly drumming session. No experience is necessary, and we have instruments to share. This is only available to Indigenous students, and it is in person from 1 to 2 p.m. every Tuesday at Four Directions Indigenous Student Center. This was Kat bringing the CFRC Community Events Calendar for November 1st through to November 7th. I hope you all have a lovely week. And now it's time for the CFRC weather report brought to you by Environment Canada. Thursday night, we'll expect mainly cloudy skies with a 30% chance of showers in the evening and after midnight with wind southwest at 40 kilometers an hour gusting to 60 and a low plus 5. On Friday, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 11. Friday night, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a low of 6. On Saturday, we'll have sunny skies and a high of 12. And Saturday night, cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a low of 7. The outlook for Sunday, November 5th, is cloudy with a 40% chance of showers and a high of 11. Sunday night, cloudy skies with a low of zero. 
And before signing off, I just want to remind our listeners that CFRC 101.9 FM is engaged in its annual funding drive. We are raising $25,000 to support critical station operations, including the installation of a new FM antenna at our transmitter site, as well as supporting our local news programming, programming such as this one. Please do consider making a gift via CFRC.ca. We have many gifts for donors, and we also have a lot of wonderful events that community members are most welcome to come take part in as well. Please do visit CFRC.ca. Make your gift today. In the meantime, from all of us at CFRC 101.9 FM and The Corridor, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.